the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, kind sir, and a pleasant good afternoon slash evening to you. 5.06 coming your way from uh, this uh, Thursday edition of Lifeline. Hope you're doing well and great to have you with us. Got along an, an involved program for you this evening, about two hours long as the crow flies. So uh, we invite you to stay tuned. Much to talk about tonight, but I want to start out with a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a pondering here. I was listening to some of the weather reports over the last um, couple of days, and uh, you're aware that we've had multiple nights of freezing weather around the Bay Area, and, and I thought it notable. I won't say which anchor on which local station, but they were warning folks that have delicate outdoor plants to make sure you cover them up, at least they succumb to freezing. And uh, I thought for a moment... They'll surely say something else. No, they didn't. They were just concerned about the plants. Well, imagine if we're worried about how plants are going to react to freezing temperatures. And by the way, in the coming week, we have two nights in a row where it will hit freezing here in the San Francisco Bay Area. That if it's cold and dangerous for plants, imagine what it must mean to human beings. And sadly, you know, there are a good number of people that call the Bay Area home that will be contending for themselves with that very issue. How do they survive freezing temperatures? And as we even had word of some shelters in the Bay Area closing, um, it puts more pressure on those that are still here. And, and I think should cause all of us to pause and think, you know, um, we really have a responsibility here as Christians and believers to try to do something to help relieve some of the suffering and pain and to stand with organizations that are literally on the front lines doing just that, whether it's providing safe shelter in from the cold to providing meals for those that are hungry to a fresh start on life for people that have been struggling with various addictions and have just had a lot of shorthands in life, as the old saying goes, and are just looking for a chance at a fresh start. And of course, um, Christ provides us the freshest start as you become a new creature in Christ Jesus, right? Well, with an update on one of those ministries that uh, we love is the Bay Area Rescue Mission's president and CEO, Bram Begonia. Bram, as always, great to have you with us. We appreciate you carving out a little bit of time to give us an update as to what's going on at the mission. But I want to have you first comment about these temperatures. I mean, my goodness, I, I you know, if it gets much below 50, I put my coat on and, you know, I'm ready to crank up the heater. I can't imagine how people are able to survive out on the streets at night in the cold when it's wet, dark and damp and 32 to 34 degrees. Well, Craig, first, it's great to be back. And you're right where these we get the emergency uh, notifications from the weather reports, just as all of you do. And luckily, we're allowed to put out more cots for men and women 
during inclement weather. And so we're prepared to take in more than usual. We'll put out another an additional 20 cots uh, in our, actually in our cafeteria, and we'll put out an additional 10 cots for women uh, so that we can take in more people. So we already have a 48-bed dormitory emergency shelter. We take in women and children as well for our emergency shelter. So we'll do the best that we can to serve our community. But, uh, you know, it's not much, Craig, when we're talking about a cot on a floor, but it's better than being out in the rain, and you're going to get a hot meal, and you're going to get a lot of love, and we're going to take care of you the best that we can. And, of course, in doing all of this, and, you know, we've talked down through the recent years about the challenges that the Bay Area Rescue Mission has had to face in the wake of COVID, for example, and now dealing with the situation related to the economy. We're seeing in areas people struggling to try to make ends meet. They can't afford to be able to, you know, pay the rent, let alone look at the price of food at the at the um, check out stand or the cost of gasoline at the fuel pump, which is really putting a lot of really difficult pressure on uh, individuals and families that are already maybe kind of living at, at the margins. And the Bay Area Rescue Mission is not only working to help provide shelter for those coming in out of the freezing cold during this time of year, but also providing meals. And I understand that uh, over the course of, of Christmas holiday season, between boxes that will be provided to needy families along with people that will come to the rescue mission to receive meals all, all told you're going to provide about how many meals altogether oh man he was talking about over twenty thousand meals next week uh going out to the community we, our big food distribution is on tuesday and then every single night first of all we, every meal we serve to our community completely free as you know so it's breakfast lunch and dinner but every dinner next week, we'll do a traditional, uh, our, our, we call it heavenly catering, our culinary arts team. Uh, many of them are graduates from our program. We'll be putting on a traditional dinner every night for the, our guests, our students, and our community. So that might be a turkey dinner one night, ham on another night, and then, you know, meatloaf and so forth. And they just have a great time putting on the best piece that they can as if Jesus were coming into our shelter himself. Uh, and making sure that he gets a wonderful meal. And, you know, you, if you heard that 20,000 coming up in about a week's time, you think, oh, my goodness, I'm worried about how we're going to handle the family on, on Christmas. Can't imagine what it must be like to prepare food, meals, and serve 20,000 in about a week's time. But that's exactly what the Bay Area Rescue Mission has done and will continue to do. But I want to make it clear it only happens with your faithful support. And again, this year, in working with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, we wanted to commit to help provide a lot of those meals. Right now, we've got about 180 families that still need to have somebody to commit that will say, yes, I will provide the resources to make sure that the Bay Area Rescue Mission can provide the food. Now, when you think about the fact that, on average, they're able to, to prepare and serve a meal for about $2 each. When's the last time you walked into any restaurant or fast food joint and was able to walk away with a complete, warm, wholesome, nutritious meal for $2? Decades ago, am I right? Decades ago, before you saw prices, since you've seen prices like that. Bayer Rescue Mission, though, pulls it off because of strategic partnerships. But to really kind of be the secret sauce in making all this happen is partnerships with you. They've received no federal dollars, as we've talked about in the past. It's just relying on local believers, local churches standing together that have a sense of passion and vision for the ministry of this organization in not only meeting felt needs, but most most importantly, meeting the spiritual needs of some of the 
people that live literally on the fringes of society. So I'm asking tonight, would you be willing to stand with the Bay Area Rescue Mission and adopt some of these remaining 180 families? Right now, thanks to that grant challenge, which will double your gift. If you called right now and gave a gift of $250, that match means that 10 families will be able to enjoy a traditional Christmas meal. Each box of hope that they distribute contains enough food for the average family of five to enjoy together about 25 meals. So that'll get them through multiple days, and that'll be an enormous blessing for them. And I believe by standing with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, it'll be an enormous blessing for you as well. Every dollar is tax deductible. Every dollar you give tonight will be doubled dollar for dollar. Simply go to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. That's at kfax.com. Or you can find out more by going directly to the Bay Area Rescue Mission's website at bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org. <coughs> Pardon me there. A little moment of getting choked up. And, and Bram, I know that the goal is to not turn anyone, not turn any family away. Um, and, and I've got to believe this year, with a lot of the economic challenges that we're seeing, what with the cost of inflation and housing in the Bay Area, this must be a pretty challenging year for the Bay Area Rescue Mission to meet all these needs. It's a challenging year, but it's an exciting year because in June, as you know, we opened up our new Center for Women and Children, and uh, that has a capacity of 114 beds for women and children fleeing domestic violence and uh, getting out of encampments and being able to stop living in their cars. And Craig, since 1965, we're proud to say that today we've had, we have the most women and children ever that we're able to serve right now today. We have over 60 women and children in our program, not just in our emergency shelter. And uh, we're not filled yet, and we can still take in more women and children. So as it gets colder, we're going to start filling up uh, more and more. We had uh, several moms come with children last week, and we were blessed to be able to bring them in. And they've joined our program, and we're excited about serving even more as we head into the colder months. And I want listeners to understand all of this is possible because of a small, dedicated staff, dedicated volunteers, and dedicated believers like you that are willing to make the sacrificial gift to stand with this ministry. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, this homeless problem, somebody's got to do something about it. Here's your chance to literally put your faith where your heart is. And support the Bay Area Rescue Mission to provide these meals. Again, tonight, and for a limited time, this matching grant means that every dollar you give will be doubled. So a gift of as little as $50 with the matching grant, which means a box of hope can be provided to not one but two families, providing over 50 meals to each of those families. Um, so we want to encourage you, go to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner. Once there, it'll take you through a couple of easy steps with any major credit card and your fully tax-deductible gift. We'll go to work reaching people for Christ and making sure that no Bay Area family goes hungry this Christmas. So would you make that important gift today? Stand with the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Go to kfax.com, click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner. That's kfax.com. Our thanks to Bram Magonia, President and CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, for that quick update. God bless you, brother. We'll look forward to getting another update from you next week as we head deeper into Christmas week. 516 for KF. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this, this sort of rings true at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, We take an examination of what's going on within the evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general and and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, More recently, um, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that Less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, (laughs) less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? And what about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program uh, probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80-plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Pedersen. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond, Comfort Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on on, uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake-up call for those of us here in, in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or, or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard bearer, the, the paradigm setter for um, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 and certainly while you know, we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by, uh, well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm, and yet very much within his norm. Well, it was 100 years ago that 90% of uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe, and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years, where now about 70% of believers live outside of the North America and Europe. Uh, they're in Africa, where the church is growing uh, fantastically, in Asia and Latin America. And now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to North America to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries. And uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country. And as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of the world. 
Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably, perhaps, what we as the church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively across those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it? Well, our strategy is much different where uh, we uh, used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today, the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 new, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen and they're seeing, those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions. Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of my, mankind that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Um, that That has never changed. But the methodology... Uh, is changing, and I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China, uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals. I mean, we know that there are certainly no uh, no missionary schools there. There are no seminaries there. There are, uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground, the legal ones, the three-self-church movement is, is all controlled by the government. And yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do, quote-unquote, church in the West. It's one of the fastest-growing churches on planet Earth, and it's all being done at the hands of nationals. Isn't it interesting, Craig, how, uh, I mean, it's always been true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and some of the fastest-growing spread of Christianity in the world are in, are in countries where there is persecution. And uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where 
25 years ago, they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians, and Iran is uh, the fastest growing uh, Christian country in the world, percentage-wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop the growth of the church. In fact, it's just the opposite, where there is opposition in places. Uh, we're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic, and now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today, and God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and Internet and social media, with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formerly closed places of the world. And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, uh, a wake-up call of sorts to the church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while that's certainly um, on the the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of um, Christians that um, were in China. And uh, in the course of conversation, asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do. And uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, what an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here, uh, um, uh, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China, bring the gospel message. And now um, the very fruit of his labor, a hundred and something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here. One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this uh, country until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans fifteen twenty, where Paul said, "It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known." So, in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the church in this country. Uh, for example, we state, "We refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ." when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. And we say we refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people when common sense says protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone. We put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached if that's what's required. Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry um, commonly as uh, HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for a better part of 80-plus oh, something years now. Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed uh, quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift, uh, Wayne, on the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world, there might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere. Well, absolutely. And uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa, and South America. In some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, we have local partners on the ground that work below the radar, and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country, but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, Make us bold in our witness, and they don't take any unnecessary chances. But uh, last year we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, in jail, somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of Jesus. And through a series of miracles, he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family. Uh, the stories don't always end that way. We know that there are people that are arrested, beaten, and sometimes killed because they follow Jesus. Uh, one of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite, and his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son, threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half-naked at night, uh, no home, no family, there was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door, and a Christian family took him in and uh, healed his wounds and fed him and clothed him and got him into school. Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those so they won't be recognized, and we offer to disguise his voice, and he says, no, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So th this is why I think we can learn something. You know, we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job, or even your life. Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like 
um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years, and 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 maybe perhaps that sense of of purpose that is motivated by uh, results, motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve Him above above all else. Um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in, in these uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of, what, almost two and a half billion people that have yet to hear the gospel message. And we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that, that all-critical 1040 window, uh, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they? Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture. Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So uh, I don't think uh, the, the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic, secular society in this country. Yeah, as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. Uh, Great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it, um, you can do so by going to Reach Beyond Beyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse campaign. Well, the uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto. And if you go to our website, you'll be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I Refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transform them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I Refuse, this is a call to the church in America to take a stand to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street. And again, information available on the web at reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, through Amazon.com, and, of course, through reachbeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You ever wonder what your kids are learning in school? Oh, I don't necessarily mean things such as the history of the country and how to read and write and things of that sort, all important to be sure. But what are the other things that they're learning in school? You know what I mean, Mom and Dad, the other things? School's in session, and some things are taking place that perhaps are going to shock parents. 
It is incumbent, I think, on all of us to understand, to to help bridge the so-called generation gap and know what our kids are learning, how they're feeling, and ultimately how they're being influenced by both their peers and even by the educators. With some insights to help us all wake up to the realities of what kids are learning both in and outside of school, Annie Brainer joins us. He's a teen expert, author of an expose on teen sex and dating, what's really going on and how to talk about it, published by Nav Press. And Andy, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. Parents frequently certainly will focus on things like, are you getting your homework done? What are your grades look like, things of this sort, all important issues to be sure, and yet it's what's not on the official curricula sometimes that we ought to most be worried about. Right. We, uh, we, I spent uh, two years uh, researching this book uh, in the hallways of the high schools across America and, and actually came up with some pretty alarming uh, results. Uh, I found that uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an undercurrent of sexuality happening in our, in our high schools today that is akin to the sexual revolution of the 60s, but it's all being done kind of under the radar. And so I would encourage parents, uh, just like you said, there's a lot of things we can see that we expect kids to learn from school, but it's the relationships that they're having uh, in the hallways of the high school, when school's over, on, on weekends, that, that, we sh- that we should really be concerned about. All right, here's a fact check, uh, reaching out to some of the FAQ that parents ought to be asking of their teens, or at least aware of. Uh, let's begin with the first point that you address, and that is that there is significantly more sexual activity going on than most parents are aware of. In fact, according to a CDC study, half of high school students have had sexual intercourse and 14%, I mean, you know, it's not for, far from being one out of every five, have had relations, physical relations with four or more partners. And we're talking about kids still in high school? Right. I was in the school, um, and I won't mention the name of the school, but I, was, I have a chance to go into some of these schools and, and do assemblies and talk to students about, you know, faith and, and what they're really thinking about faith and what they're thinking about life. And, and, and I would... I, uh, I commonly get a group of kids together just to ask about their dating relationships, and I and I just say, look, bottom line, you're not going to see me again in three days, so you know you can be honest with me, and I'm not going to go tell your parents what's going on, but tell me what's going on in the dating relationships in this high school. And as we're sitting around the table, uh, one of the one of the guys hop, popped piped in, and he he said, uh, Andy, here at our school, it's just like we we just hook up with each other, you know, every day, and so and, and hook up has a different meaning than maybe some parents might think that it is. They have a they have a, a location that they'll go to and they'll literally engage in physical activity and, and when it's over it's just kinda like they just kinda went and played basketball in the backyard. They <clears throat> they come back to school and they say you know, they, they give each other high fives and wasn't that fun last night? And, and then the next night they do the same thing over and again. And so each night we have teenagers that are out just hooking up with each other. And, and, and even worse so, not only is any sense of impropriety gone or shame or guilt uh, apparently just completely uh, cast aside, but then isn't it so that at certain levels we see, Andy, 
the influence of so-called modern-day social media uh, that is helping exacerbate all of this? Because now, you know, not only are the kids are hooking up, and then they're bragging about it on Facebook or, or texting each other, if not with the gory details, even with photographs. Oh, with the gory details and photographs. Greg. Wow. It's, it's unbelievable. In fact, I'll get I'll get emails from parents that, that sneak on their kid's computer, and they'll download the latest Skype conversation that they're having. And it would, I mean, it just makes you blush to think about the language that kids are using and the and the uh, just the explicitness of what's going on. So we've gone from being concerned about our kids potentially being exposed to pornography in the seedy parts of town to now actually creating the pornography. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And most parents, I mean, as much as you talk to teens, you also talk to their parents. What's the reaction? I mean, you're speaking upwards of, of 80,000, 100,000 teens every year. You have a lot of impact and, and opportunity to talk to the parents. When you when you share some of these details, much as we are here this afternoon, what's the reaction? I find that, that there's a... There's a there's a lot of parents who would would come and they'd say, obviously they'd be in the camp and say, oh, that's not my kid. My kid would never do that. My kid would never be involved in that. Uh, and then you have some parents that that say, okay, I see the issue. I see what you're doing now. What do you, what can we do to encourage our kids? And especially in the Christian communities, when I go in and start talking about dating and relationships, um, there are some honest parents that go, hey, look. Um, we need help. Uh, we need we need folks that can bridge the gap between the teen relationship and the parent relationship. Help us coach our kids. And so you, you know you kind of get both sides of the spectrum. But but I tend to focus on the ones that are going. All right, we we get it. We know our kids are not perfect. We know our kids could be involved in this. Teach me how to coach my kid to have a successful relationship in high school. A lot of parents feel overwhelmed by this, a sense of perhaps being out of control because of the number of counter-influences to what they're trying to teach their kids. I mean, I would assume parenting today is as it was when I was a kid, that most parents want to be able to set up an atmosphere in the household that that establishes and then helps to encourage uh, certain standards and and, a standard for living, a moral code, etc., etc. Mine happened to to come out of the church, but, you know, somehow some sort of a, a decent code of behavior that parents are not only having to compete with with um, the counterculture that is out there that's running contrarian to what they're trying to teach their kids and values in the home or or in church and then on top of all of this i bet there's a huge frustration because just parents feel as if there's little they can do right but i think um it's easy sometimes for parents to just defer to all the other influences, but the research has shown us now when you ask kids about the most influential people in their life, in other words, what are the most what are the most um, prominent voices in your life today? The research that's come out say parents still hold the number one spot in developing a worldview of that teenager, and and to most parents, I can say, you know, how many times have we been driving down the road with our kids in the back seat and we say something, uh, you know, our kids are acting up or something, and we say, be quiet, stop touching each other, and all of a sudden this memory of you being in that car kind of comes through, and you remember your mom or your dad saying those things, all to point to uh, the things that we learn about parenting often come from our parents. And so I often encourage parents to think about if you have the number one influence in your child's life, and secondly is friendships, peer relationships, and then third, the research comes out and says that the media holds the third position. So so if you've still got the number one spot, then it's time for parents to start really parenting. It start, it's time for parents to really think about, you know, when is my kid on that computer? And 
who are they talking to on that computer and who are they texting you know when they're at the dinner table and 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 start taking control and and be a parent in your house my goodness you're still mom and you're still dad and you have a responsibility to to rise up and raise your kids if you've just joined the conversation, Andy Branner with us tonight, teen expert, author of an expose on teen sex and dating, what's really going on, and how to talk about it. We'll come back to more of the insights and our conversation tonight. If you want to join us with a comment or a question, join in. Toll-free number is 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's 888-367-5329. A timeout. Back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 